Hey everybody, Aaron here, and welcome to the season seven finale of the Good Lion Podcast. I think it's been quite a great season with lots of interesting guests and compelling topics. We've also been in this season for five months. Uh, Chalk that up to Brian and I having super busy schedules as both of us were very busy tending to our very pregnant wives and witnessing the births of our children. My son, Jack, and Brian's son, Nate, we are both so happy. Our wives are doing so well. The babies are doing great. Keep us in your prayers and also pray for us as we take some time off to plan out the next season and the future of the show. We love, love, love seeing what God is doing through Good Lion and the ministry here. And we're excited for the future and what's to come. But for now, I want to present to you this finale episode And this is quite an interesting one. In this episode, I sit down with my friend, Benjamin Morrison, a pastor who has been a missionary in Ukraine for 20 years, and he's currently in the middle of a Ukrainian war zone, doing ministry, helping people, and impacting lives for the kingdom. This is a very interesting conversation, and we go all over the place from what is God doing in Ukraine, how can we pray, how can we help, what is life like for missionaries there, and beyond that, we even talk about some geopolitical questions that were asked by some listeners and some people on social media who saw that we were going to be talking to Morrison. And I just want to say at the start of the episode, keep in mind, uh, I am a, a pastor, <laughs> a former youth pastor. Uh, I'm a student of theology. I am not a geopolitical expert. And so there may be things that are said in this episode that maybe you don't agree with, or maybe it doesn't line up with your geopolitical views. And I, I just want to say, uh, you know, that the point of this show is not to talk politics. It's not to talk geopolitics. It's to try to point people to the way of Jesus. That's always been our focus. And so I would just say, take everything said with a grain of salt. Uh, be open-minded, especially to what Benjamin has to say as somebody who is living in the country. I think that his words have a lot of weight. And so I would encourage you to listen with an open mind and open heart. We don't have to always agree. That's totally fine. And uh, at the end of the day, this show is all about continuing to point people back to Jesus. And so even in the middle of that conversation, that's not the norm for this show. I hope that you'll hear my heart as I attempt to continue to point us back to Jesus. So with that, uh, let's get into the episode. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato, and I'm here with my friend, Benjamin Morrison. Benjamin, how's it going, man? Oh, you know, a war zone and everything. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> all things considered, pretty well. Yeah, man, this is an intense interview. Uh, you're, you're in Ukraine right now in the middle of a war, and I you were the first person I thought of when the war broke out because you're one of the only people I know from Ukraine. Since then, we've been talking to some other missionaries involved, like Jed Gorley and Pam Markey. But I immediately thought of you, and I was like, I've got to talk to Benjamin and find out what's going on over there. Yeah, happy to to hopefully inform and, you know, encourage, even in the midst of a very difficult situation. But, you know, um, we see God moving and, and we can get into the ways that that's happening. But yeah. Yeah. It's, and you're 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 originally from the United States, right? And you you've been in Ukraine for how long? I, I am originally from the U.S., from Indianapolis. I've been in Ukraine for half of my life, which is 20 years. Yeah. So this is, this is home. My wife has been here her whole life because she's Ukrainian. Mm. Mm. 
which makes our kids half Ukrainian at least. So how how many kids do you guys have? A two. Awesome. Well, I can't. As as a new father, I literally can't imagine what it would be like to raise kids in the middle of what you're going through. Like it just that sounds like my worst nightmare. I I feel like growing up here and just you know hearing so much about church history and the persecution of Christians and all of that sort of thing is kind of swimming in your mind and you're like what if that happened here what if we got invaded what if there was persecution and you're you're actually truly living it and so it's incredible to be talking to you i i i'd want to turn it over to you right now and just kind of set the stage and say tell us your story like tell us what has been going on in ukraine from your perspective what are you seeing what are you experiencing what's it been like for you your family your church you have the floor man just just go for it all right. Well, I mean, I suppose it makes sense to start with kind of how it all started. We're now on day 34 of this war, so it's been over a month at this point. But we'd been, well, yeah, we'd been getting emails for probably a couple months before the invasion actually started, you know, from the U.S. Embassy saying, you know, it consider getting out. We, we urge you to make that consideration. So, you know, we knew that there was this possibility. I mean, the reality is even right up until the bombing started, the majority of Ukrainians didn't think it was actually going to go down, you know, but even if it was a surprise for us, it's not a surprise for God. So that's comforting. They had originally announced February 16th, as like the date that it was going to happen. I don't know if you remember that. So, you know, on February 15th in the evening, I was kind of, you know, sitting sort of praying and and just considering some things. And I mean, my wife and I had talked about it before that, you know, and we, we had come to the decision that, you know, this is where God has us. This is our home. You know, if we, if we take off, you know, who's going to serve all these people. So, you know, we were, we were pretty settled on that. We had, we had, you know, originally we had kind of questioned maybe getting our kids out and, you know, and sending them to my mom, mom's place who lives in the States. For a number of reasons, we ended up not doing that. But kind of on the evening of the 15th, there's there's a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. He worked with Hudson Taylor in China and then was in India and Africa. You know, basically, he was originally from England, but, you know, lived his whole life in the mission field. He wrote a poem, which you may have heard of. The refrain kind of goes, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ. And the, and the final stanza of that, that poem goes, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And as I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. And that that was, you know, that was kind of one of the things that I was meditating on the night of the 15th, right? Again, before the war was supposed to start, but you know, we don't, we're not big into punctuality over here. So it started (laughs) a few days later, but yeah, you know, I mean, I guess we just, we just believe like, you know, exactly what that says. It's like, you know, we're here. Crisis put us here. There's a number of factors, you know, that I think just sort of coalesced to put us in the right place at the right time. You know, you talked to Aaron even about kind of having a kid in a war zone. Like our kids are teenagers now, Mm. you know, so they're actually, they're able to process, you know, to, to a great degree, you know, what's happening. They're actually helping us serve refugees that are, you know, that are coming through. So wow. I, th- I think if it was, you know, if our kids were like toddlers or something, it might be a very different story. But, you know, that, that was just one of the factors that I think the Lord orchestrated that 
you know, we're able to be here and, and serve people in this time. So, yeah, so it actually ended up being February 24th that the, the whole attack actually started. I should I should preface that and say the attack actually started eight years ago. So this is this is just the new level uh, of the war. The war actually started eight years ago when Russia took Crimea. They took, you know, these part, parts of these provinces in the far east of Ukraine. You know, and in, in some ways, in some ways, what happened then in 2014 almost felt more chaotic because the country itself had just come out from under a pro-Putin puppet, you know, and nobody kind of knew which way which way was up. You know, it was actually the people against the Ukrainian government at that point, the corrupt, you know, pro-Putin government. Yeah. So, you know, in some ways that actually felt like more unstable when this all started, you know, there's a strong sense of, you know, national unity, a strong, you know, clear direction of, you know, we do not want to, to join with Putin. You know, we want to actually have a free society, you know, so so the level of destruction is greater now. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, right. It, but but yeah. the much greater for sure. Yeah. Because that's what um, we're seeing, you know, I mean, you know, here in oh, the yeah. States, other countries. You know, when it comes to war, you're getting the headlines and you're seeing buildings blown up. You're seeing bodies on the ground. And I was going to ask you, you know, how much of that is your reality? Like when you look out your window, do you see destruction? When you walk down the street, do you see destruction? Like what is it like where you're at? How close are you to the violence and what's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, that's another one of the factors. Like I said, I think, you know, if we were living in close proximity to the Russian border, it might have been a very different decision. Uh, So we're on the western bank of the Dnieper River, which is the river that kind of divides the country in half. I mean, it curves. So we're technically we're further east than Kiev, but we are on the west bank of the river. So it's a small town, although over the last month, it's actually been growing quite a bit. There's no, you know, there's no targets of really any military significance nearby. The closest bomb that was dropped was, it was about 60 kilometers away, which is like 40 miles. But and that, that's and that was intense. only one. And yeah, yeah, you know, it is a war zone. But we've we've seen rockets fly over a couple times on their way somewhere else. But but thankfully, you know, our town has remained safe, has not been hit by any direct bombing. Mm. You know, again, because of its location, because of its, you know, size and that it doesn't really have any particular importance as a hub for anything, you know, we're certainly hoping and praying it stays that way. Yeah, that's that's for um, for, for me. That's that's the uh, one of the benefits of living in Mustang, Oklahoma. It's like if anything ever goes down in the United States, like nobody's <laughs> nobody's coming to Mustang. Like, well, nobody, <laughs> nobody even knows how to find you. Aaron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it's incredible that you're so near, you know, like you can see these things happening in the distance. You can see rockets flying overhead and God's put you in this unique position where there's enough safety for you to operate, but there, there's enough of this nearness to the danger that you're able to go in and make an impact and help the people in the community going through this. And I'm sure there's so much mental turmoil and stress and, and, and frustration and anguish from the people in your community. There's probably so much fear. I can only imagine how much fear there is right now. And so I think it's like, you know, we, we overuse that verse in the Bible from Esther about, you know, for such a time as this, but it really seems like God has you there for such a time as this man. Like, it seems like he's been preparing you probably your entire life, you know, you not knowing it, he's been preparing you for this moment to step into your role as a pastor and leader. And just as someone watching from a distance, it's been really encouraging to watch. It's been inspiring to watch, man. 
I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is like you said, it, you were, were really from where any of the heavy bombing or the kind of, you know, direct incursions trying to push into the country. We're a good three and a half or four hour drive from any of those. So, you know, we're not, we're not particularly close. Although they've, again, they've bombed other places that are not along those fronts as mm. well. But we, we are particularly for the city of Kharkiv, which is Ukraine's second largest, and it's very close to Russia's border. It's like 40 kilometers, so, you know, whatever it is, 25 miles or something from the border. So that's one of the cities that's been just wrecked by bombing, you know, just just completely just buildings, huge buildings, just, you know, decimated. And so we've had a lot of refugees come, particularly from there, because we're sort of at a crossroads, mm. um, you know, from from particularly that city, but really Eastern Ukraine in general, as you head west. So, you know, the, fir the first, and I will say, you know, the, the dynamic has changed over the, over the last month plus. So in the very beginning, we had, you know, people kind of trying to get out as fast as they could. I mean, we started taking refugees on the very first day. We had people coming through. Yeah, the, the beginning really was people kind of, you know, getting in, you know, and then getting out. Usually a lot of mostly young people, people that, you know, are, were actually, you know, kind of fairly well off. They had their own cars. You know, that's why they were able to drive out quickly. So, yeah, but as time went on, the dynamic changed. So, a lot of the people that wanted to get out in the beginning got out, hmm. you know, but then the bombing kept going. Yeah, um, yeah. And so kind of about a week, maybe two weeks ago, it started to shift. We started, first of all, we started getting more older refugees, you know, because kind of the thinking is for a lot of the, the people who are of retirement age, they're like, well, you know, I've already lived my life. This is my home. I'm not going anywhere. You know, kind of, I'm probably going to die not too far from now anyway, so who cares? But... You know, when the rockets start falling next to your house, you know, when you have to sleep eight and nine days in a row in the bomb shelter, you know, they, they, there comes a point where you're like, okay, it's time for me to leave as well. So, you know, we've had, we've had more people, you know, they're older coming since maybe a week and a half ago. Mm. You know, we had one couple that they came half of the windows in their car had been blown out by a rocket. They had bolt, like literally bullet holes in the side of their car when they pulled up to our church. You know, and the other the other shift is that people, if they kind of were only staying for one night in the beginning, now they've started staying longer. Mm. You know, three days, four days. You know, we've had people that have stayed over a week. And we've actually now helped, I think it's probably about six different families find permanent housing mm. here mm. in our city. Mm. Because the far western cities are just insanely overcrowded right now. You know, again, the, the statistic is that there's already almost 4 million refugees that have left Ukraine. But because there's a war going on, Ukraine has a law that men between ages 18 and 60 can't leave. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, hmm. in, in case there ends up being the need for a draft, there hasn't been the need for that because there are so many volunteering just, you know saying, give me a gun, I want to protect, you know, my home. I've heard about that. That nobody's had to even think about it. So, you know, but, but so those who, who don't want to split up their families, right, they want to stay with, you know, the husband, the dad, then they obviously have to stay within Ukraine. And because all of the far Western cities are just really overcrowded right now, people have started looking for kind of other options that are in safer areas. So our, our town is starting to become one of those. So there's actually more traffic now in my town than I've, I think I've ever seen. You know, it just seems like there's like more people, so. Incredible, man. And yeah, like I said, it sounds like God has you there for a reason. He has your family. It's incredible to hear that you're 
kids are even helping out with the refugees. I, I think one place that I want to go to, this is actually a question that was sent in by uh, one of our listeners. I put out a thing on social media saying I was going to be talking to a pastor from Ukraine. And I said, what would you ask him? And one of my friends actually reached out and was just like, hey, how's your how's your mental health right now? Like as a pastor, as a leader, how are you handling the stress of this? Because I know for me and for a lot of us here in the U.S., it's like our country's been facing radical division over the past couple of years. And that division over things like COVID and just other things going on, I'm sure you're familiar, has caused so much stress on pastors and they have been leaving the ministry. A lot of them have been ducking out of the ministry because of that stress. That's just division. Like you're dealing with literal war and death and, and violence and refugees and f- the, the, the copious amounts of fear that people are dealing with. And I know just from my own experiences as a pastor, when you have a flock, when you have people that rely on you, very often when they have burdens, when they have stress, when they have frustrations, you're internalizing that and you're sort of carrying that load with them at times. I'm sure that's got to be hard, man. How, how are you? How are you doing? I appreciate that question. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, you said kind of comparing with some things in the U.S. over the last years, sort of that just strife and division, mm. you know, and I, and I mentioned, you know, in some ways 2014 was worse. And part of it was because it, everything was up in the air and, and people weren't entirely sure which direction things were going, although, you know, more or less was clear, you know, the external circumstances are horrendous here now, but the internal circumstances are beautiful, you know, and kind of with the story of Joseph, right? And I've referenced this a lot since the beginning of the war, you know, everything goes wrong kind of on the outside. He gets sold into slavery, you know, and then he gets falsely accused, thrown in jail, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually, you know, God works it all out to where he's the second guy in Egypt, you know, he's put in the right place at the right time for, you know, the salvation of the people of Israel. You know, and he's talking to his brothers at the end and he says, what you intended for evil, God has taken and used for good. You know, and we we really see that, that, you know, this evil of, you know, wanting to bring death and destruction, you know, that in reality, God is using it for good. We've already seen, you know, just through our church, and this is just one of, you know, hundreds and thousands of churches that is serving at this time. We've already seen five people come to Christ since this started. Um, Amazing. You know, we've, we've, you know, seen seeds of the gospel, you know, hundreds more sown. You know, we've seen the church, like our local church body, just plug in. And like, I mean, you know, as in any local church, you know, you've got people that are you know, interested in busy and serving, you've got people that are kind of on the periphery. It seems like people just have all, you know, plugged in and said, you know, we want to serve, we want to help. Like, hmm. there's a, there's a great internal unity, you know, and I, th- I think in some ways you can see this, you know, people have commented uh, on Ukraine in general, just how how brave and, and resilient and just what a fight people are putting up, right? More than Putin expected. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and but but it's like, Sometimes it's like when there's that external threat there, you know, the response is an internal cohesion, you know, an internal unity and strength. So in that sense, I mean, you know, somebody asked me on, on, I did a podcast with somebody else a few days ago, asked me like, has this been the hardest period in your ministry? Mm. And my answer is no. (laughs) I mean, in some ways, in some ways, but it's a lot harder when, you know, you've got fighting and division within the church and you've got like, you know, the war is inside the church. Like that's awful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. People are going at like, they're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ and they're going at each other's throats over stupid things. That's been my biggest frustration over the last, I'd say four years of my ministry, you know, because I came from youth ministry and then I 
over the past couple of years, adult ministry. I'm like, whoa, adults are complicated and they're really, really div- divided. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So I get the frustration, but still, man, I mean, I, I, I feel like a wimp even saying that looking at what you're going through. Like, it's just, to me, it's incredible. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine another country invading my country and, and killing people in that way. It's it's horrific, man. So I, I just have yeah, to, I have to yeah, give you credit um, for, for what, for, for, for the boldness that you're having in this moment, I think. I appreciate your words of encouragement. That's kind of, you know, I've, I've got friends, like I said, you know, we're here. We thankfully have not had any direct bomb strikes. You know, I've got friends who are pastors who, you know, through, I'm, I'm the director of a ministry called City to City Ukraine. So we do training of church planters. So we've got guys that, you know, have planted churches in Kharkov right in the city that's just being leveled and the guy's still there he's you know like he's still serving people like that that guy's my hero (laughs) you know it's incredible Um, it's incredible you know it it feels like it feels like a resort here compared to that so yeah it is you know when when these refugees obviously they're coming in they're they're shaken you know depending on each of their stories you know grown men crying people that have been you know just just living in bomb shelters for a week um it's hard. Mm. It is emotionally hard. You know, we 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 listen to them. You know, we we've had our own moments of, of weeping sometimes with them, sometimes, you know, separately, you know, but but nevertheless, I think there's just I don't know, I guess a clarity of, you know, what this, you know, what we're doing, what this is about. There's there is also an encouragement and a hopefulness to, again, you know, just see God moving not only in spite of, but even through, you know, some of this suffering. So, yeah. you know, God's, God's victory is always a subversive victory, right? Every, every plot and step that the enemy takes thinking that he's winning, he's actually putting another nail in his coffin, yes. right? And the cross is the ultimate example of this, <laughs> yes. right? He, th- he thinks he's winning. He thinks he's like, I'm, I've, you know, now I'm going to, now I'm going to do God in and like, nope, you actually did yourself in, yeah. you know? So, I mean, that's, that's the way it works. And, uh, you know, victory belongs to Christ and we fully are convinced of that and mm. believe that he will also crush down Putin soon. Um, mm. We don't know how soon praying that it's very soon, you know, but, but really this is a person who has lifted himself up, not just against another country, but against God, against God's righteousness, mm. you know, and the, I mean, no joke, like, the church across the world is praying for Ukraine, mm-hmm. right? They're praying against Putin and his evil devices. Except the Russian Orthodox uh, you know, Church, I've, right? Well, we can talk about if that's actually a church anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it's crazy. But It's uh, crazy when the church, anytime the church gets in bed with the state, you know? no good yeah yeah that's that that's a fun conversation we can have yes. but yeah i mean i you know i've joined on prayer meetings like of of believers and pastors in brazil in indonesia like all of them praying for you you know so i think god will most certainly glorify his own justice and and be putting this i like to call him the kremlin cockroach uh <laughs> he will be crushing the kremlin cockroach under his foot shortly amen man i mean uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I look at Satan's blueprint, right? And what is it to kill and steal and destroy? And I I am firmly against any country or nation, even America, which is controversial for some people to say, but I'm against any country, even my own, invading and killing innocent people, calling them collateral damage in the quest for power or might or resources it's the way of the world. It's the way of Satan to kill and steal yeah. and destroy to get what you want and to not care about who you bulldoze in the process. And it's just so antithetical to the gospel and the kingdom. 
it's it's so hard for people because we tend to see things you know in this very pragmatic way and 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 well what are the details what are what are the facts and of course that's important but at the end of the day when somebody is rolling tanks through a country and blowing up buildings and, and killing civilians i'm like this is it's satanic. Like, I don't know. I don't know how shooting, strong shooting, bombing maternity wards. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. I don't. It's satanic. It's satanic. If Russia does it, it it's is. satanic. It's, if it's America does satanic. it, I, I that's, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't usually get fired up about this kind of stuff. But this is an area where it's yeah. like, I want to well, be firm. I mean, that's, you know, that's an interesting challenge, not for the church in Ukraine right now, because, you know, in this particular instance, you know, we're trying to defend our home and that's a just cause, you know, but for the church in Russia, yes. like you said, you know, you're, you're willing to say that you're against it, even if it's your own country, you know? So the ultimate question is, where is your allegiance? Ultimately, yes. is it to the kingdom of Christ or is it to your earthly government? Yes, because sometimes they are very much at odds. You know, so this is this is a challenge. You know, and I've got I've got plenty of acquaintances and, and friends. You know, who live in Russia as well. You know, pastors and whatnot. So this is this is certainly a a moment of challenge for them. You know, because obviously they're I mean they're living within an authoritarian prison. You know, where to to speak out can lead to some very real con- consequences. You know, not bombs being dropped on your head, mind you, but you know. The, the difference being that we don't have a choice, mm. right? Like mm. we have bombs being dropped on us anyway, so we might as well say everything we think. <laughs> um, you know, whereas, wow. uh, which you know me, Aaron, you know I'm, I'm a fan of that, uh, yes. of, of saying everything you think. Yes. But, uh, you know, for, for people in Russia, you know, for believers in Russia, it's a, I mean, there's a real choice. You could be quiet. And then, you know, kind of, I mean, not with, not too comfortable these days with all the sanctions, but, you know, more or less kind of not, not put yourself at any huge risk. Right. Or, you know, speak out. And I'm not saying that every Christian in Russia necessarily needs to go out and, mm. and protest on a square somewhere, although we're hoping that plenty of them do. Yeah. And I've seen many of them. You know, do that. but, but, but the question is, you know, yeah. And I, right. And I know, you know, I actually made a post about this, you know, I've got uh, a friend who, is a minister in Russia and went to a protest against the war in Ukraine, got arrested, got fined, and through a very kind of roundabout way, I actually paid the fine for that person. Mm. I insisted on it, mm. even though they didn't didn't want me to. Love but that. the reason being because I want to sponsor the ministry. Yes. Right. You know, this this is what living for Christ looks like. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's certainly one of the ways living for Christ in that context. Well, yeah, and, and biblically that ties into the idea of justice and righteousness, right? It's this idea of doing right by people made in the image of God. And part of that means standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves. Right. The Bible Project has yeah. an excellent video on justice that makes that point. Sometimes do. peaceful protest can be justice because you're saying, hey, I am an image bearer of God. My friend over here in Ukraine, they're made in God's image. And by rolling a tank over them, you're, you're defiling God's image in them. And so I'm, I want to stand up and speak out because they can't speak for themselves. So I think it's an important thing for us to do. I was thinking about your work with the refugees and I was just thinking about, this is such an amazing moment in history for the gospel to shine because what, does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us that the world is broken. The world is evil. The world is corrupt. We know that people aren't necessarily the enemy, but they are twisted by the dark powers behind the scenes. Satan and demons are real. And very often they're behind, they're pulling the strings of governments and causing them to do all sorts of horrible things, influencing humans to harm other humans and destroy other humans. And so 
the gospel tells us like, yeah, the world is broken, but there is Jesus and there is this King and there's this way that the world was supposed to be. And, and for those who are in peril, for those who are in hard places, you do not have to fear death because Jesus defeated death and he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. So even though we have these finite bodies, we have bulletproof souls. And so the gospel just has so much hope for somebody right now, I think, in Ukraine. I think about the refugees coming in and what what hope it would be to hear that there is eternal life beyond that. And then even that Jesus is working to build a world, right? The new heaven and earth where there is no more war, where there is no more violence or political corruption or any of this stuff. So I just feel like the gospel is loaded with so much hope, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and that's that's what we try to share with people. You know, like I said, people are coming in they're They're shaken. They're exhausted. You know, we don't jump on them with a gospel presentation as soon as they step in the door. (laughs) You know, we we pour them a hot bowl of soup. Yes, we, you know get them, you know, get, get their, their bed set out. You know, we listen to them, listen to their story, whatever they want to share, you know, don't press them for, for things that they don't want to share. But, you know, I mean, a lot of times ultimately that, you know, they're the ones asking the questions like, you know, like, who are you? Who are you people? You know, like, why, why do you, why are you doing this? Why do you have hope? Right. Uh, Yeah. You know, in a time like this, you know, and I mean, the reality is, you know, like you mentioned, Aaron, we we believe in a savior who mm. who overcame the grave, who overcame death. Like if the resurrection isn't real now, when is it real? Mm. Right. Mm. You know, and that's that's a message that we get to share with people. Yeah, that's awesome, man. inspired by it. I love it. I I love that you guys are in the middle of this and and sharing this hope. It it reminds me of, there was a Christianity Today article I read years ago during the Syrian refugee crisis. And I remember just being so blown away by this Syrian pastor who was speaking to his congregation. He was like, Hey, I know that ISIS is coming to our town. I know that they're going to roll through here. And I know so many of you want to leave and flee to the United States or flee to England or any of these other kind of Western countries. But why not stay here? Because when it gets darkest, that's when we need the light. There's going to be people in our town who don't know Christ, who are going to need us to be the ones to stand up and, and you know, not retaliate against ISIS and, and, and kill them, but actually to lay down our lives for our friends and even our enemies and to be the light in the darkness to preach the gospel and help the wounded and and care for people. And I just, I see so much of that in what you're doing. I saw your piece on Christianity today about doing a ministry in bomb shelters and it's just, it's inspiring, man. And it's, it's so funny because I remember when I shared that story at my church during a sermon about love over fear, there was a guy who got up after the sermon and he was like, I love what you had to say about the, the Syrian crisis, brother. And I was like, oh, yeah, great, man. He's like, I agree. The, those Syrians just need to stay over there, a bunch of Muslims. And I was like, what on earth? How did you miss the point? And I, that's just that's so often our mentality here in America is safety and security. What can I do to worship the false idol of safety and security? And so I, I love that you're you know, not necessarily preaching to us about that in a sermon, but you're, you're, you're living it out. You're preaching it through your example and, and not just you, but so many of your colleagues out there as well. So it's inspiring, man, honestly. 
I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do need to say, you know, there's there's lots of friends of mine, other ministers that maybe have not stayed in their city, but have gone further west. You know, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I, I think each person just really needs to hear from God on it. Everyone's situation um, is different. Right, exactly. You know, like I said, I mean, if if if, the, if if it was a different town that we were in or if our kids were, you know, teeny tiny or whatever else, you know, there's a thousand possibilities that, you know, could change it. But, you know, we just prayed and, and, and came to the conviction that this is where God has us. I love that you're saying that, like, because I, I'll just say this really quick. I feel like what I see here in America so often is grandstanding and people saying, I'm doing things this way, like maybe regarding COVID or whatever, you know, keeping your church open. And anybody who does different is a coward. And I love that that's not you, man. Like you're, what you're doing is very bold and brave, I think. But then you're also saying that pastors who went a different way and maybe they, they had to evacuate or something, everyone has to listen to what God is calling them and their family to do. And I think that's such a beautiful posture. Right. To have there's so much humility in that dude i i am appreciating this conversation so much man seriously yeah thank you but you were saying more and i kind of cut you off i'm sorry did you <laughs> you you did and now i don't remember what i was saying no I, th- I think i think i think i was just saying that you know you know like you're mentioning this this syrian pastor right who said let's let's stay you know even right. though isis is kind of coming i mean that that guy that guy's brave um <laughs> yeah you know but again i mean it's one thing to say, I believe God's called me to this. It's another thing to, to try to presumptuously say, I think God's calling all of you to this. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't think you can do that. I, th- I think you can say God is calling us all not to act out of, you know, fear, not to act out of, you know, just, I don't know, lack of trust of him. Obviously, everything that's not of faith is sin, Paul writes, right? You know, so those things can be stated clearly, like what's the motive Right. Which is always what God, God is interested in, you know, first and foremost. But it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to leave because I'm super afraid. And, you know, I don't know. It's another thing to say, you know, I, I trust God and, and I've sought him and I'm, I want to be a good steward, right. Of kind of the life that I have while I'm here, you know, yes. it's not going to last for long, but, but I'm here now, you know, and, and also I'm, I'm not only a steward of myself, I'm a steward of my kids and where are they at? And, you know, I mean, there, again, there's so many factors. Mm. I think we can speak clearly about the motivation that ought to be there, but I don't think we can go around saying like, well, you ha- you should do this this way, yeah. you know, in, in situation X, Y, and Z. I love that, man. Yeah. A lot of humility there. I think for our listeners, this will be really, really valuable to learn from that example. And, you know, uh, the last thing I'll say on this whole evangelism aspect of it is this just came to me and I I just, I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to get your take on it too. I feel this, this really made me upset and I feel like it'll probably make you upset too. So let's, let's get upset together. Me, me get upset. (laughs) People who listen to the show, they, they know that like, we are not a show that is just like, let's bash progressive liberal Christians. That's, that's not this show. If anything, we are very open-minded and, and sympathetic, even if we would not go that way. We, you know, we've done episodes on progressive Christianity, and I've kind of tried to bend over backwards to give them the benefit of the doubt, right, while then trying to point people back to a more theologically orthodox Christian view. But I follow several progressive Christian meme accounts just to kind of find out what are they thinking and what are the ideas. And I saw a post the other day that just made me so frustrated. It was basic. It was a, it was a photo of Christian missionaries witnessing to Ukrainian refugees, kind of like what you're doing. 
and they were just like, this is disgusting. Christians are using a tragedy to advance their agenda and proselytize and spread their ideas. And I was just like, yeah, they are because we believe that there is life after death. Like we believe in a king of the universe who wants to overthrow and defeat all evil. Like we, we believe in eternal life. We believe in salvation, forgiveness of sins. Like, so yeah, I was just, I was so over it. I was like, what is this meme trying to say? What are these people trying to say? If you believe in something and you believe it's valuable, don't you try to spread that? Especially if you think it helps people. I don't know. What what do you think? Uh, two quick answers on this. Yeah. So first of all, they're doing the exact same thing. <laughs> yes. They're, they're, they're using the refugee crisis to push their point of view about not evangelizing or, you know, whatever, I guess the ultimate point of that meme was. Right. But they're also taking the situation where people are experiencing tragedy and they're using it to push their point of view. Right. Which is an anti-Christian right. which, which, view. Which is hypocritical because that's what they're criticizing the other people for. Right. You know, the rea- I mean, the reality is ev- everybody preaches. Yeah. Everybody. It's true. Right. It's just a question of what. Uh, what you think has value, what you, you know, think, you know, regardless you want people to to understand or, or at least understand if not be convinced of like you're going to talk about that that's what the people on that page are doing yeah that's what you know people who are who are witnessing you know about the gospel to to refugees or to anyone else are doing that's what you know people who are who are pushing their political points of view are doing they're preaching true right you know that's i mean ultimately that's even what people are doing you know for their favorite sports team like you know <laughs> they've they've got like corny t-shirts that you know you know that are preaching their their sports gospel you know uh so so i mean this is the, it's it's not that preaching is bad everybody preaches yeah. the question is what attitude are you doing with yeah. with mm. you know how how are you treating the other person who is not yet convinced of your you know values or point of view mm. you know if you're doing it in a way that's disrespectful to them if you're doing it in a way that's belittling to them then that's a problem no matter what mm. whether whether you're preaching you know christianity or a political view or your sports team or whatever else you know but secondly, like you're saying, you know, we're we're preaching a savior who overcomes death to those who are under threat of death. Mm. That's probably good news. You know, and even if you maybe don't agree with the ultimate conclusion that Christ did rise from the dead and yes, he does provide eternal life, even if you're not convinced of that yourself, one would hope that you could at least be appreciative of the motivation behind it. There was an incident a few years back now. There was an Australian reg- rugby player, you know, Big deal down there. The guy was, you know, the equivalent of like an NFL quarterback or whatever. He's a Christian and he made some statement on his Twitter feed, you know, nothing really controversial in reality, but just something about, you know, all men are sinners. You know, God calls us to repent and, mm. and is ready to sort of give us mercy if we do. You Pretty know, standard kind of, I mean, stuff. sort of standard yeah. fair, <laughs> yeah, um, not targeting any one particular group or anything. And he ended up getting fired from, like, the rugby league over this because it was like, oh, how dare you, you know, talk about sin or anything. Yeah, right. Well, there is an atheist professor, uh, an author, Peter Singer is his name. You might have heard of him, who actually wrote an article in defense of this rugby player. Right. So Peter Singer does not believe in God. He's an atheist. Hmm. He doesn't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you know, but he says, you know, this is absurd. You shouldn't be firing this person. If anything, you should appreciate what he's trying to do because he believes that you're in danger of a fate worse than cancer. Hmm. And he's offering you the only thing that can cure it. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, if you can't appreciate that, you, you might not think it actually is the cure. 
right? You might not even think you're sick, but you should at least be able to appreciate that the motive behind that is not malicious. Yes. It's actually done out of an abundance of concern for the other person. So I suppose that would be a couple brief thoughts in response. That's great, man. I think, I think you covered it well. And, and my bringing that up, you know, I'm not, if you're listening, I, I know we have, we've had people listen to the show where maybe you're a Christian and maybe you lean a little bit more into the progressive Christian realm of things. I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus and say, that's all of you. I'm just saying that that was a manifestation of it. That was really frustrating to see. And I, I know that the people who were running that account are kind of former Christians who were hurt in the church, had really bad experiences. And so I do kind of get from their perspective, you know, they, they view Christianity the same way you and I view a dangerous cult that has harmed and hurt people because that's been their, their experience of Christianity that represents a very small aspect of what has happened in some churches. And so for me, it's like, I just want to point people back to, yes, we are spreading our views intentionally. That's a huge part of what you and I as pastors do. We've dedicated our lives to spreading this view, but it's because we actually do believe in it and we do believe that it helps and that there is life after death and there is hope in the midst of even a war zone. Right. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it goes back to, you know, what, what's the attitude with which you're doing it? How are you treating, you know, the other person? Are you treating them with respect? Are you treating them as, you know, a a conversation partner actually made in the image of God, which if you are a Christian, you're supposed to believe that about other people, Absolutely. you know, and treating them accordingly. So it sounds like, you know, I I have to say, since you've used the term a couple of times, I really don't like the term progressive Christianity only because, and really, you know, the same thing with conservative Christian or liberal Christian, because it's, it, it mixes a term that most people take as a political term. Oh, absolutely. And we, we've talked like about that on the show. Position. Yes. So when I say progressive Christianity, what I don't mean is somebody who goes to church, believes in the authority of scripture, believes in Jesus as their king, but they're also like, hey, I think universal health care could be a good thing. It's like, oh, you're a progressive Christian. No, that's not what we mean. That's a Christian who has a... That's a Christian. Has a progressive view on a political thing, which... Uh, or just or just a European Christian. There you go. Boom. Yeah, that's something that my American Christian friends sometimes don't realize. So that's not what I'm saying. But the reason I use the term is because it's become a cultural meme. And a lot of people have become self-identifying progressive Christians. Where And and what I mean by that is, you know, we, we've done a whole episode. You guys can go back and listen to it. I'll put it in the show notes. But. It's basically somebody, the, 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 the biggest summary I can give for it is somebody who says Jesus and scripture are not the authority of my faith. The, my interpretation is my authority. So it's basically, you know, I don't look to the historic church. I don't look to the church fathers. I, I look to basically, it's, it's postmodernism wrapped up in it where it's like words don't have meaning. We create the meaning for words. So who cares what the original authors meant? And I would argue that a, a more orthodox conservative Christianity would be saying, how can we go continue to search and find out what did these original authors mean when they wrote these words? We're going to have differences of view of interpretation, of course, but as long as we're trying to hold to, we want to acknowledge that there was meaning 
and and, and we want to find that meaning to, to me I, that's kind of one of the prime differences i would say i don't know if you'd i know that's not the point of this episode sure. but i'm just trying to no it is not. i was gonna say this sounds like we should do a different episode uh, <laughs> i know i'm i'm actually doing my master's in hermeneutics so there you there you go uh, yeah my, i i just wanted to have us within this episode clarify yes, it's always what important that term is being used as it's always so. important to clarify because there are people who will listen i mean dude it's people are so it's people so easily misunderstand one another i i will have to say really quick and then i want to switch gears but it's so funny because the last episode we did together, a family friend reached out to me and was like, oh, so I heard that you're a, you're a woke leftist Marxist now. And I was like, huh? And they're like, yeah, you did this episode on with Benjamin Morrison on systemic racism. And I was like, uh, did, you, did you listen to the episode? And they're like, well, no. I didn't listen, but I, someone else yeah. listened, and they they told me that you're you're now a woke leftist Marxist. I'm like, uh, no, none none of none of those things. I don't know how acknowledging the concept of something makes me those things, but I'm just saying pe- people seem very determined to misunderstand one another. So I think clarifications are always sure, yeah. important. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to get off on a tangent, I think you mentioned, you know, Orthodox Christian teaching, you know, versus versus obviously the the flip side term would be heterodox, mm. which is not a term that people use most most often in day to day speech. I've only that, heard that it like kind of, once, so yeah, yeah. Now you've heard it twice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you know, when we say Orthodox, we don't necessarily mean like the Russian Orthodox Church or Eastern Orthodox. Uh, like, how no, would you def- definitely not that? Yeah, the the term Orthodox would mean sort of a commitment to fidelity to the authority the original intent of those things of christianity of the faith it's trying to hold on to the the reality of what the faith always was and always was supposed to be and not perverting it by our own ideologies being sprinkled in i guess is that is that fair is that a good definition yeah, i mean i'd say it's it, it's not you know saying like my personal opinion about what Christianity is is like the trump card, but actually, no, there's 2,000 years of church history yes. at this point, and you are basing your view of Christianity in the historic yes. Christian creeds, you know, the ecumenical councils that all Christians agreed upon. So, yeah, that's that's in a nutshell. Not to get too far off on that tangent. All right, yeah, no, this is good. This is uh, this is good stuff in the middle of here. But yeah, let's let's get back to talking about Ukraine. I want to take a minute in this conversation to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is Vladimir Putin. So I grew up. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's big enough to be considered an, ele- an elephant. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, this is going to be just a nonstop dunking on Putin by Morrison. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. But yeah, I mean, growing up. As a Christian, you know, you've got all these evil rulers, right? You've got, you've got Herod, you've got Pharaoh. We've, we, we always have our villains. And I've always been one, you know, here in our country where I hate demonization of people, where it's like just because somebody is a Republican or just because somebody's a Democrat, all of a sudden they're the manifestation of Satan in some people's eyes. I, I find there's too much of that. But in this situation where you have the, the mass destruction of human life, in the pursuit of power. I think it's safe for us to villainize 
Putin a bit because he is acting and operating as a villain. And so I, I want to ask you, what what is your opinion of him in this situation? And specifically, what, what I want to go to is what do you think his motives are? And let me just say this really quick before I turn it over to you. We are entering a portion of this episode where we're going to be talking about geopolitical situations. I am not an expert in that stuff at all. So I might ask stupid questions and I might say stupid things. I just want to apologize in advance to our audience because this is not my forte. I spent basically my entire 20s researching Christianity and theology and really hyper, even more than that, hyper focusing on my youth group that I pastored for that time. And believe it or not, wrangling 45 kids takes up a lot of your mental energy. So I am not somebody who has spent a lot of my life researching geopolitical situations and politics and issues. And so, Benjamin, (laughs) that being said, Putin, what do you think his motives are for what he's doing? I've had a few people from America, some friends here, reach out about this episode and they wanted me to ask you, you know, Putin seems to say that his motives clearly stated are he's trying to go after some bio labs in Ukraine and he's trying to take out a group of Nazis or something. <laughs> so is there validity to that? Do you think he's full of crap? <laughs> you know, what do you think, man? Like, what's going on here? So I don't so know I mean, anything. I, I'm, I'm literally just I, feeding I'm, you I'm happy to say that I, questions from other yeah. people. Right. Uh, the reality is most people are, are not geopolitical experts, but they read a couple <laughs> news articles and they think that they are. I'm not a geopolitical um, expert, but I play one on Facebook. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. You know, if you if you were to ask me kind of, you know, these sorts of situations about, you know, kind of the political situation in the Congo, like I would not be able to tell you hardly anything. Yeah, you know? right. I mean, I know where the country is on a map, but but, but that's about where it ends. Explain um, the geopolitical you know, situation in Mongolia right now. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but obviously living here, living, you know, for 20 years in Ukraine, having seen the country go through a number of changes, you know, including two revolutions, you know, that I've been here through, you know, and then the war that began in 2014 and now has entered into a new phase. Again, it's not, I mean... We're calling it a new war. It's technically just a, you know, an exponential growth of an already existing war. As far as Putin's motives, there's, you know, you know, the the Kremlin does propaganda like like nobody does propaganda. Mm. You know, so there's sort of the official line. And then there's what does Putin actually want in his heart? I mean, I'm not God, you know, God sees, God sees his evil little heart, you know, and what exactly he's after, you know, but it, it seems, and I mean, this is, this has been a pattern really since he even came into power is, you know, and he talks about this openly. So this isn't like, you know, kind of a guess, you know, how the, the falling apart of the Soviet Union was a tragedy, you know, which is ironic. He's, he's actually, you know, has nothing to do with communism. He's not a communist. In reality, if anything, he's more of he's actually more pining for like the old Russian empire. Mm. He mm. he's an he's an emperor or he thinks he is, right? Mm. Um the emperor with no clothes. So, you know, he he it has been taking off little chunks of former Soviet republics for, you know, for a while now, you know. There's there's, you know, a chunk of Moldova that that kind of got more or less back into Russia's orbit, you know, almost shortly after it gained independence in the early 90s you know there's there's issues in in you know armenia azerbaijan georgia there's a couple provinces that they've de facto taken over there's you know the provinces in eastern ukraine so you know russia has has picked little pieces of former soviet republics back for itself for you know 
a long time now and and where it's not picking back pieces it's usually because they're happy to you know just install a puppet government so they're actually de facto controlling you know said said country without officially taking bits of it you know belarus would be a pretty good example of this because hmm. Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, who's who's basically, you know, providing a platform for some of these attacks on Ukraine, it just does more or less everything Putin wants. Hmm. So, you know, what is what is his 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 goal, Putin's goal in this? I mean, <laughs> imperialistic megalomania. Can we go there? <laughs> Um, what, what do you think about the? You know, he's, he, I was gonna say, what do, what do you think about that claim that he's made about how I can't remember the name of the group, but there there is a group in Ukraine that has apparently pledged allegiance to the Nazi Party or something, and so he's. It seems like he's using that as justification for what he's doing, sort of like how we in America sometimes have justified bombing certain places in the Middle East because we're going after a terrorist, but then who cares, right? If we collateral damage, kill women and children in the process. That's something I have a problem with, no matter what country's doing it. Like I've said, got to be consistent on that. So, but I mean, do you think, do you think there's any validity to what Putin's saying there? Or do you think it's just, it's just, it, it's all, it's all just spin and propaganda mm. to try to get people to support what he's doing. Yeah. You know, his, his quote unquote official, I mean, this is sort of their official statement of, of this, what they're calling a special military operation, which obviously is just a fancy term for war. <laughs> Kind kind of like the it's, police action in Vietnam, right? It, it um, sounds way less harsh. It's it's just it's just a, yeah, it's a very yeah. special military operation. Special. It's very special. Gosh, uh, especially crazy. <laughs> um, so you know, quote unquote, to denazify Ukraine. So think of the irony of this, mm. right? Here's this guy, you know, who has created his own equivalent of you know the new swastika. Looks like the letter Z. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, you know, yeah. which which actually has now been it's been outlawed in states in Germany wow. because they recognize what's happening. Right. Like this is the 21st century Hitler. Here's he's got his little Z swastika, mm. you know, and he's he's trying to kill our Jewish president. <laughs> yeah, Zelensky is Jewish. He's from a Jewish family. Gosh. But but we're the ones who are Nazis. Wait, what? Yeah, and like, so in your experience living in Ukraine for 20 years, do you feel like the streets are just overrun with Nazis to the point where it would it would validate somebody saying we have to violently attack this country to get rid of this problem? Are you just seeing Nazis everywhere when you no. walk down the street <laughs> in uh, Ukraine? Uh, no. Okay. Now, look, are are is there probably a few you know neo-nationalists or Nazis or whatever in every country? You know, regardless of what they call themselves in America, in Russia, for sure, you know, in in most I mean, at least let's say most European countries, you know, and if and if if we're not going that direction, then we can call them, you know, you move kind of further south and east. Maybe they refer to them as terrorists rather than, you know, Nazis, but but kind of, you know, people, you know, doing violent things in the name of, you know, kind of hatred and, and sort of that only their group is the, the right, the good, the chosen group, you know? So, yeah, but we have, um, we have that in the United States as well. It'd be like, it, right. it'd be like, Putin, That's what I'm saying. it'd be like Putin declaring war on America and invading us because we still allow the KKK to exist here, which we do, which is crazy. But uh, <laughs> indeed, yeah, uh, that's, that's maybe a topic for another uh, podcast, but uh, <laughs> Like I said, yeah, I, I'm so, not I mean, I'm not no, an expert this, this in this is, stuff at all. I'm just right. This is absurd. So yeah. so I mean, just just to give a little context. So World War Two, you know, obviously, you know, Nazi Germany, like Ukraine, suffered horribly under Nazi Germany. Mm. You know, people people are not fans of of 
of the Nazis. You know, there's there are there are memorials within Ukraine in various places to the Jewish people who were victims of World War II. You know, mass graves. Bobby Yard was one of them. Mm. Again, the irony of this is that Putin's forces have bombed those places. Gosh, wow! They've bombed the very places that are memorials against Nazi fascism. So who's the fascist again? You know, it's it's just it's absurd. It's 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 very it's very much in the pattern of Satan, I think, where saying that I'm here to help you, and then literally hurting you where you need help the most. You know, that's that's the pattern there. I think uh, where I want to go with this now is I'd want to ask you. Has it been bizarre for you as a pastor in Ukraine to hear some Christians in Western countries like America, like praise Putin or give him the benefit of the doubt? I've, I've heard people over the years say, you know, Putin's great. He's got Christian values. You know, he's a strong Christian leader. And for me, like my perspective on that has just been like we so often confuse moralism for the way of Jesus. True followers of Jesus do not kill, steal or destroy in the quest for power. Or lead others to do so. You know, the kingdom of God does not advance through force or war. It advances through the church. And right now, like Putin is terrorizing the church in 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 Ukraine. I don't think he's spreading Western values. I think or Christian values. I think he's spreading the way of Satan, who comes to kill and steal and destroy. He but, is spreading there. Saying there there are pastors that I know personally that have been kidnapped in the occupied parts of Ukraine by by these Russian, you know, quote-unquote liberators, you know, specifically because they see, you know, the actual Christian church as their enemy. Hmm. So, yeah. They see that. They So they see the, the well, actual Christian church as their enemy. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I mean, there's a number of layers to... to the question one one layer of it is that the the protestant church you know as opposed to eastern orthodox church is seen as like a western phenomenon so they see any protestant church as kind of representing the west which is their enemy right ultimately mm. america so there, there's obviously the political aspect to it you know i think i think probably there's also the aspect to it that they know they know that like the gospel that we preach is antithetical to what they're doing and, you know, those who are pastors and preaching it, like there, that voice has power for those who are mm. believers and they want to crush all dissent because that's what Putin tries yeah. to do. They want to silence anybody speaking up for the way of Jesus, which would be in direct opposition to what Russia is doing. And and it's so tragic to me because I, I love I, I'm not ashamed to say I, I love the country of Russia. I love the Russian people because that was one of the first places I ever went on a mission trip. We helped plant a church there. So that that breaks my heart to see. Yeah. I just I hate war so much. I'm I'm a very anti-war individual, I would say. And to me, I just seeing I just know from talking to young soldiers, it's like when you're in the military, it's like you have to do there's this burden, there's this pressure to just do whatever your leader says. And, and often the propaganda brainwashes you into thinking that you're doing the right thing. And so considering how many young Russian men and, and women, I'm, I'm not sure what their stance on. I, I would assume that Putin's pretty anti-women, women in the military. Um, no, there are, there are female Russian soldiers okay. that I'm aware okay. of. I think, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's it's tragic that that there are Russian men losing their lives as well, and, and women losing their lives as well is, in this be, yeah. because they've bought into the lie. I think of right. I think of uh, Nazi Germany. I remember uh, reading about how many of the Nazi soldiers working underneath Hitler were actually Lutheran 
Christian men. And they're, you know, they grow up in this Christian culture, they're born and raised, but then there's this other nationalism part of it that causes you to think of not just God, but the connection of God and country and they're synonymous. And so to obey your leader is to obey God. But then what happens when you have leaders that are doing satanic things? It's like people. So it's like, what if, what if the, the Christians in the Nazi army would have stood up and said, this is not right. And King Jesus is actually our master. King Jesus is actually our ruler. Hitler, you're just a puppet of Satan. Like how different would world war two have been? Would have been a lot shorter. Yeah. Right. If Christians, if Christians would act the way that Jesus commands us to, it would impact the world so much. I mean, and it just, it's disgusting to me because I look at, you know, Vladimir Putin and making speeches to people and trying to rally his country to say, God is behind us. God is on our side. He's quoting um, Jesus, you know, saying greater love has no man than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. And to me, that's just the height of biblical illiteracy because you're proof that Satan can still quote scripture. Yeah, <laughs> you're quoting the Prince of Peace. You're quoting the one who didn't bulldoze through towns and, and kill his enemies, but the one who laid down his life sacrificially for enemies. And instead you're co-opting that message and saying, I have the right to go and take and kill and steal and destroy for my own gain, for my own power, for my own purposes. And God is buying me and supports me. To me, it's just, it's dangerous. And I, you know, you know how like in America, every, all since we're not being invaded, all we do is sit around and debate about things on Twitter. The, the, the thing that everyone has been debating about lately, the last couple, you know, months or years has been the whole, you know, Christian nationalism. Is it actually a problem? Is it actually dangerous? And there's some people that I would describe as more politically left where they use Christian nationalism is sort of like a, it, it's like a dog whistle where anybody who is a Christian and votes because votes a certain way because of their Christian values and actually, you know, cares about their country and wants to see their country, you know, behave in more Christian ways in, in some people's minds politically like, oh, that's a Christian nationalist. To me, it's like, no, that's, that's not a Christian nationalist. To me, like what a Christian nationalist is, is someone like what Putin's doing where he is putting his nation first to the detriment of others, willing to kill others. And then he's baptizing that in, in Jesus and scripture. And, and that's where the danger is. And I think that for us here in America, we need to be willing to acknowledge that that could happen here. Like we could end up in a place where all of a sudden we're attacking other people and, and invading other countries and saying, Oh God wants us to do this. He's on our side. He's behind us. Does that stop me? If you feel like I'm going off the rails here, like, what do you, what do you, what do you think on this topic? Which question? <laughs> I don't is know. Is Christian nationalism dangerous? Yes. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you think about at, that? Take a look at Putin. You know, obviously his is under the guise of sort of a Rus Russian Orthodox Christianity, you know, but I mean, like you said, it's actually not Christianity at all. It's not Christian at all. It's nationalism. It's the worship of, you know, ethnic or state identity, but then clothed with some religious trappings, you know, you know, christened officially by, you know, in the case of Putin, you know, the, Rus the Rus Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah. So it's dangerous. I think I think there's ample proof of that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's a corruption of Christianity. It's a corruption of the gospel. And to me, it's a slap in the face to Jesus on the cross, like dying for the sins of the world. And then you say, oh, sweet, I'm going to go kill people in the name of Jesus. It's and it's happened throughout history, like that has been a pattern where you see countries 
killing and destroying and then saying God is behind us and on our side. So all I'm trying to say, hopefully I don't sound like some radical communist. I mean, the last time I was on an episode with you, I became a, a, a Marxist woke leftist apparently in some Oops. people's eyes. So should just get you a hammer and sickle. Pin yeah, there you thing. go. <laughs> there you go. I'm not, I'm not anti-America. I'm not anti-Ukraine. I'm not anti-Russia. I'm anti-Satan. And so anytime Satan co-ops countries and causes people to do evil things and then claim that Jesus is behind them, that makes me very frustrated as a, as a pastor. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he, like I said, he's all about propaganda, but it seems that, you know, he's also looking around other places for examples of how propaganda is done, let's say, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see. As they say, life imitates art, imitates life. So, yeah, I mean, the you know, the reality is they, they actually, you know, took a number of, of kind of feedback from the people who were at, you're referring to this big rally that Putin did. You know, the reality is a lot of them that were there. Now, I'm not saying there weren't some that were 100% gung-ho actually in support of Putin. That I'm sure is the case. But there were also plenty who said, you know, you know I was threatened with... <laughs> with being fired from my job if I didn't go. And so they went and they waved a flag, you know. And I mean, that really, that's a very, you know, Soviet authoritarian state way of doing things. I mean, you know, even here in Ukraine, like in the past, before our revolutions, you know, it's like when it was time to vote for somebody, like the boss at the company would say, you know, well, you guys all need to vote for this guy, uh, you know, and if you don't, you might not keep your job. So, you know, because it was all just kind of a scheme, you know, thankfully we've, now broken free from that, you know, but Putin clearly doesn't like that, you know, but that's the way it still works there. You know, it's, it's incredibly hard to trust any statistics coming out of an authoritarian prison state, you know? Yeah. So mm. there, I mean, there's, there's, there's this one statistic that supposedly 70% of Russians are in support of Putin's war. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think probably at least that many are unwilling to speak out against it. And that's the problem. Mm. That's the problem. Not that they're actually in support of it. You know, there's there's this quote that, you know, kind of in, in the long run that we will not remember, you know, the hatred of our enemy, but the silence of our friends, you know. So there may be people who are kind of against it. There may be people who actually say, yeah, this is, you know, this is evil, but we're not willing to say anything about it, you know, publicly or out loud or anything. Well, yeah, that's interesting that you bring up you know, your own distrust for the Russians' information and their media and their propaganda, because it actually creates a yeah, nice... not particularly trustworthy. <laughs> it creates a nice segue to actually kind of the final topic I wanted to talk about with you, which is media, and uh, can we trust the media? I purposely moved this question to the end of the conversation because I wanted to focus more on what is happening in Ukraine and what is your experience as a pastor in Ukraine? Because I think so much as Americans, often whenever a crisis is happening in the world, our first thought is, how does this affect me? How does this affect my country? And so I did, I did get some questions and these are genuine questions from good, genuine people, but they're, they're focused more on for us as Americans, how should we process this? And I just didn't want that to be the focus of the episode. So here it is on the end. If you listen this far, congratulations. Now you as an American get to hear about you for a second. So here's a question that I'm getting from some friends of mine. 
And these are people that I would describe as more politically minded people than me. I, I talk about politics, but if you know me, if you've heard me, it's very old. It's always coming back to the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus. You know, America is not the kingdom of God. Russia is not the kingdom of God. Ukraine is not the kingdom of God. These are all empires of the world. So my, my political stance is usually focused on trying to point to the kingdom of God and Jesus as our supreme leader. So, but, but, but the people who are asking these questions are friends of mine that kind of are focused on politics and they have their, their ear to the ground on politics. They're, is that the right phrase? Ear to the ground? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds about right. So, th- so this is a question I got from a friend. She asks, is the media in America, right? The, you know, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, are they lying to us? What is really going on? Is this just a smoke screen for a proxy war on the U.S.? And, and uh, so before I go further, I would bring up that after going through COVID and many confusing, mixed, and sometimes even, honestly, false statements from media and government. Many Americans, especially conservatives, I would say, political conservatives, are at a record level of distrust, right, of media. And they've turned instead to the internet to do their own research. And so that's what I've noticed everybody is doing these days. And we've talked about this in our postmodernism episodes where we've reached this point where it's like, who can define truth anymore? when everyone's just doing their own research on everything. But when it comes to the situation in Ukraine, many have a hard time taking what the media says at face value. They think there's some sort of secret plot behind all this. Uh, and there's many theories out there. You know, this is all about George Soros, or this is, has something to do with the Bidens, Hunter Biden, biolabs in Ukraine. How would you address American Christians who are looking at the situation in Ukraine and they're just trying to process it through all of these different political lenses and theories? And, and, you know, with some sympathy to the fact that people are very distressful right now of the media. Right. Um, Yeah. So, so like I already talked about, you know, Putin is all about his propaganda machine. That machine also includes trying to influence the, you know, the story, the spin, not only in Russia, but in other countries as well. You know, Russia has its own English language propaganda channel. It's called Russia Today. If you're asking me if that media lies, yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, and, and I should add those who are in in line and in sync with that narrative you know this is like i said this is you know putin in his imperialism you know wanting to control everything you know he's still afraid enough maybe we're hopeful we're hopeful that he's still afraid enough of nato that he isn't directly attacking other countries that are nato members you know so so that's good you know the the again the irony of this is like you know putin claims that he's afraid of nato therefore he's going to do something that actually puts them on high alert <laughs> uh you know he's going to you know he's afraid that Ukraine wants to join NATO, therefore he's going to do something that makes us want to join it as soon as possible. <laughs> like, it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear that in the background? Yeah, what is that? Air Raid Siren. Oh, fun. Well, you, can leave, you can leave that in your recording. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Um, do you need to go, um, or are you good? No, no, no. I mean, the reality is, you know, after 34 days, most people here have started, and in other, in other cities, have started to ignore the Air Raid Sirens. Okay. And listen instead for, you know, if it's a place where bombing is actually happening, 
sadly, people can already discern, you know, is it something coming or going? Mm-hmm. You know, whose who's artillery is it? What kind of artillery? You know, for us, it's it's just that they work on a, like a statewide basis, basically, like for the whole province. Yeah. Um, it's 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 just I just have to note really quick. It's it's so funny and, and sad to me that, you know, even just hearing the air raid siren, I just feel like I feel like we're so wrapped up in all of these different theories. And I mean, the reality is like, there are dark things behind the curtain of every country, of every reality, because the reality is nations of the world are influenced and manipulated by Satan and demons. That's that's literally like what the Bible tells us. It's the, He's the prince of the powers of the air. He has his foothold in nations of the world, you know, but we get so wrapped up in this. And, and then at times we forget to pray for what people are going through. And and so I just want to remind people right now, if you're listening, um, it's not bad to wonder and it's not bad to try to figure things out in our complex world. But our first priority, I, I think, should be prayer for what people are going through in these situations and figuring out how we can help. And then whatever energy is left over after we're praying and figuring out how we can help, then let's spend some of that trying to, you know, de- deduce all of the things behind the curtain as best we can. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, things behind the curtain, like, uh, let's focus on the things in front of the curtain, mm. you know, mm. <laughs> like, like bombing maternity wards and yes. killing thousands of civilians. Like, this is not a complicated thing. You know, the things that are being done by Putin and, you know, those who are following his orders are evil. Right. Period. This is not, you know, this is not some great mystery, especially for somebody who, you know, would say that they're a Christian. You know, again, I, I would encourage, I would encourage, you know, people to stick with the Bible, I guess. Yeah. You know, and not to go crawling down internet holes in search of some conspiracy theory. Again, you know, like I said, Putin's propaganda is is at work also in English. Like part of it is to get you to buy his spin on things. You know, the reality is he's just, you know, an evil you know, imperialistic person who is destroying a free country that did not attack him in any way, shape or form, you know? So like, that's like, that should be, that really should be enough to, to, you know, settle the matter, you know, because again, when you kind of go down those, those little rabbit trails, you're getting distracted, you're getting distracted from the important things you're getting distracted from praying you're getting distracted from you know praying for people who are actually suffering and dying in ukraine you're getting distracted from thinking about well what could you actually do to help and to serve you know rather than just kind of waste your hours in your life traveling down little internet rabbit trails yeah and yeah. i would agree with that i do understand where some i want to give my friends asking this question some benefit of the doubt because I do understand the frustration people feel with with understanding that there are things behind the curtain at times. And what I mean by that is like like for, for me, the thing I go to is I, I was a kid during 9-11, like George Bush's wars were my wars as a kid. Um, that's what I grew up with. And I remember hearing, you know, the justifications for war in America, which was there. there's weapons of mass destruction. There's weapons of mass destruction. And that's what the media reported. That's what the news reported. Everybody was gung ho for the war. And then we find out later that a lot of that was a lie. And we find out later that there weren't weapons of mass destruction and that our media lied to Mm -hmm. us. Our government lied to us. So even for me, like as somebody who considers himself non-political, the more I study politics, the more I research and, and just history, the more I find out that governments lie and media lies and and everybody's just out for their own interests. And at the end of the day, the you know, people are lied to. 
And so I think that's where people are coming from is, you know, in America, they're like, okay, we're looking at Ukraine. Everybody is like, let's support Ukraine. Let's help Ukraine. But then they're wondering, like, is there something else going on behind the scenes? I think there's validity to that wondering. But then I also feel like, I feel like what you're saying is even if there was some secret plot behind things, even if there was some secret agenda, even if any of that was true, the reality is on the ground floor, hospitals are being bombed, orphanages are being bombed, people are dying. And so that needs to take the primary focus. Is that is that kind of where you're coming from? Uh, it does need to take the primary focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the, the point is not to trust everything that the media tells you, you know, particularly, I guess it de- depends what media you're reading. Like I said, if it's Russia today, stop reading it, you know, but but I mean, even to bring up your weapons of mass destruction example, you know, from the Iraq war, you know, it was a claim to justify an attack that was unsubstantiated, mm. right? It's interesting that usually the people that make up these, you know, the actual conspiracy theory, the the unprovable accusations are the ones that are doing the attacking, which, mm. you know, kind of like Putin's made up ridiculousness about, you know, Ukrainian Nazi <laughs> conspiracies and yeah, right. bio labs or whatever that's all about. Yeah. So, I mean, it it's a made up fabricated excuse to come in and attack, you know, in our case, at least, uh, you know, completely peaceful society that simply wanted to be free and, you know, and now we're being destroyed for it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's 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 the same. And I'm not saying believe that because some media channel is telling it to you like I'm here on the ground yeah. telling you that's how that's how that's how it is. Believe it because um, Benjamin's telling it to you and and you're not you're not a <laughs> Russian uh, spy or bot or whatever. No, so, no. yeah. And. You know, I think honestly, if we're honest, there's people listening and there prob- there's some people listening who are probably going to be like, hey, Benjamin, I-, I disagree with you politically. And I think that there are there's some secret plot behind the scenes and you might disagree as somebody who's on the ground floor. But to me, the thing I would want to point our listeners to is I just want to keep pointing back people to this reality of no matter what geopolitical things are going on behind the curtain. This is what my mentor, Evan Wickham, always says. Whatever whatever geopolitical things are going on behind the curtain, and it's constant, it's nonstop, it's always happening. There's always dark things going on in our world. The reality is the gospel remains the gospel, and people need it, and people are hurting, and, and our focus as Christians should first and, and foremost primarily be on how can we help how can we pray right. there's some of us that are like me that are less interested in all that crazy stuff going on in the world and so we focus on other things there's other people where it's just the way that they're wired where they're going to do research and try to figure out what's really going on and that's that's okay there's, there's like sometimes theories do tend out to be true 20 years later you find out oh yeah that thing that everyone thought was a conspiracy theory actually like we found this out and this was the truth but if that becomes our obsession if that becomes what we just is constantly filling our minds, we're going to miss out on what's happening right in front of us in the kingdom of God. And so I look at what you're doing and I'm just, I'm so blessed by it because you're, you're, you're showing us what the kingdom of God looks like by helping the least of these in this crazy problem, no matter what is happening behind the scenes or is not happening behind the scenes. You, you're, you're, you're showing people what it looks like to be the church in this moment. And so I, I would just encourage people who are listening, let the prime takeaway be from this to just pray. I mean, can you even throw out, like, give us some really practical things we can pray for, like tangible things Um, we can pray for. Yeah. I mean, you know, pray, obviously 
that God would crush down any evil intentions, violent intentions mm-hmm. of, you know, arrogant men who have put themselves in the place of God and are not God. You know, he's the one who has the, the power of life and death. Some people forget that and think they have it, you know, so pray that God would, would humble, you know, the pride of, of man. And, you know, I mean, even now, is it possible that God could do a miracle and bring even Putin to a place of repentance, sure, it's possible. Yeah, it's something you know, to consider uh, for sure. No, nothing is beyond the Lord, but but at the same time, you know, we're praying that he would manifest his justice, you know, his righteousness for, for Ukraine, particularly at this point, you know, in, in whatever way he sees fit, that there would be a quick end to violence. You know, like I said, I think that in reality, this is not just, you know, it's not just a political thing. You know, Putin has clearly set himself on the side of, of the devil who steals, kills, and destroys, right? Yeah. As, as Aaron, you mentioned, you know, and that's not going to bode well for him. Ultimately, the victory is the Lord's. Yeah, so man. just pray that it manifests soon. You know, pray obviously for comfort, God's comfort, for hope through the gospel, for those who are hurting, who are suffering, for the millions and millions of, you know, both refugees to other countries and then internally displaced, you know, the latest number that I've heard between, I, I think it's between the two of them is 12 million, you know, so 4 million refugees and then and then like 8 million internally displaced, you know, people who have, who have loved ones that have been killed, people who don't know if their loved ones are trapped in a bomb shelter underneath a building that got blown up, people who have been forcibly taken as, as Russia's doing in some of the, the you know, the besieged cities in the southeast, uh, you know, forcibly taken Ukrainian citizens and extracted them to far points in Russia. You know, they've they've been literally, you know, kidnapped, you know, so there's there's plenty of things to pray for, you know, as far as, you know, I mean, practically, you know, for for those who want to, you know, be involved with with helping to serve refugees in this time. I mean, there's a number of ways that you can do that, you know. Beyond praying, you know, lots of ministers that are involved right now in serving refugees. Obviously, we're doing that for those who would want to, you know, connect with us and, and donate. We've got a U.S. partner that, that you can send donations through. The shortened link for that is bit.ly slash give to Ukraine with the number two. So it's bit.ly slash give to Ukraine. I'll put that link in the notes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, but again, there's there's many ministries right now that are attempting to, you know, meet these vast needs, you know. Not only physical needs, but, you know, ultimately spiritual needs. They're, they're you know, reaching out during this time of crisis to bring the gospel to people. Um, yeah. So, you know, get involved mm. in that. You know, like I said, I think I think there's plenty of things to spend your time on. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that heart and I love that call. And I think for so many of us, like like I said, let's spend our time. Let's spend our time praying. Let's spend our time figuring out how we can help. Maybe we're supposed to donate financially. Maybe we're supposed to reach out to a Ukrainian missionary and just be an encouragement to them and spend time like like giving them, you know, that encouragement, that free therapy of like, hey, just you talk, just vent what's going on. How can I pray for you? What are your specific prayer needs for your family? There's so many ways like that we could spin our wheels and find ways to help as Christians. And then like if there's 10% of our time left over after that, then let's let's research and figure out what's really going on behind the scenes or is not going on. But let's not have that backwards where it's 90% of our time is just inside trying to figure out what is going on. Is the media lying? Is you know, who's really at fault? Yes, those things. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, you're saying, Aaron, the 10% of the time. I guess my I would I would caution one percent people. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's not so much that it's it's the entire nature of a conspiracy theory, right? The whole idea is that it's not 
it's not public knowledge. It's special knowledge. It's it's gnosis, right? Like the like the Gnostics, right? They had right. this special knowledge that most other people didn't have, you know. And and I'm not saying that people trying to figure it out necessarily are are dealing with this, but I think sometimes it can be right. the motivation that I know things that other people don't know. I I know the real truth when other people don't know it. Yeah. And the reality is behind that is pride, you know, and, and pride is obviously the same thing that, that led to the devil's fall. It's the same thing that is leading to Putin's arrogance at the moment, you know, so... You know, will, you know, again, even with the whole weapons of mass destruction thing, like the truth will out, you know, like sooner or later, Jesus said that, you know, right. and the hidden things will be exposed, you know. But in the meantime, like, are you the one special person on the planet that can figure it out? Yeah. You know, when when nobody else can, like, probably not. Um, yeah, there's some truth. You know, be, to be that. OK with that, you know. And and again, I would say just focus your attention. And I mean, you know, if it's not spending hundreds percent of your time on Ukraine, that's fine. There's <laughs> lots of other good things to do with your time besides researching conspiracy theories like i don't know playing with your kids read a book or take a walk or you know doing some exercise whatever yeah right so yeah yeah i i agree with that and i think you know i mean on the one hand you know some like go back to you know the war in iraq is the person who's like the government's lying to us about the weapons of destruction man is that person in sin for questioning the government no like we we know that governments and medias can lie and can be corrupt, but you're totally right. It, 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 it can be such a distraction. And when we were kids, we didn't have the internet. We had, you know, newspapers and then we had our crazy uncle's opinion on things, but we weren't thinking about this stuff. The internet has created this situation where anytime anything happens, just, just look at Will Smith getting or sl- slapping Chris Rock and literally, I can go on Facebook right now, and I have people taking screenshots of that slap and analyzing the movement of Will Smith's hand, the position of Chris Rock's face, and, and, and you know, oh, he was bracing for contact, and there, there's conspiracy theory even around. So that just happened the other day, and now we have fully formed theories about that. And so it gets to a point where is this healthy for us as a society to reach this postmodern place where it's like any thing the media says, anything the government says, we should automatically just assume it's a lie. And then anything that's the opposite of that, we should believe without, without analyzing the evidence. That's kind of where we've, I mean, I've seen that with COVID where it's like, you know, you'll have the government saying, this is what's happening with COVID and people go, Oh, definitely a lie. And then like someone will put out a video where it's like, here's a doctor who disagrees with what the government says. And everyone goes, Oh, it must be true. You know what I mean? So it's it's this upside down world. Yeah, it's confirmation bias. As soon as you hear one thing that agrees with what you want to think, then you think that that's right. the right thing. Uh, this is what I'm saying is, you know, I mean, again, you're not that one special genius person who, beyond the rest of the planet, figures it out. You're not that person, okay? Right. You know, even if, if you think the whole George Soros thing is true, well, he's the one who knows about it, not you. You know, spend your time on what you do know is true. Which, if you're a Christian, is the word of God, you know, not, not, you know, crawling all these rabbit trails on the internet. Um, right. You know, it's not, it's not, well, this is a lie, therefore the opposite must be true. It's this might be a lie or might be true. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> God's word is true. I know yeah. that. Let's focus on that. Yes. Yes. And, and, and even beyond that, like, we need to have this perspective that the kingdom of God is our true nation. And there are things happening in the kingdom of God every day. And what if we were more 
intellectually turned on to that, like observing right. what is God doing in the world? Yes, America is where I am stationed as a missionary, but the kingdom of God is my true home. The kingdom of God is my true nation. Jesus is my true president, king, leader, governor, empire, whatever. And, and so it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in what's going on. How does it affect our country that we currently live in? You know, what is the secret behind the veil or whatever of media? And because, yes, media like I, I, I do want to keep reiterating. Yes, media does lie at times. Yes, governments do lie. This is the way of the world, the way of Satan, the way of darkness. But where can we always find truth? We can always find truth in Christ. We can always find truth in the kingdom. So I'm, I'm just saying that's where our energy needs to go. And so I look at the Ukraine situation and I'm not thinking primarily, how does this affect me and my country and the geopolitical situation? It's fine to research that stuff and look into it, but I'm trying to look at it from the lens of what is what is the kingdom of God doing right now? What is Jesus doing in his kingdom right now in Ukraine, in Russia? Like, how, how is God stirring up Russian Christians to oppose evil? How, you know, can God convict Russian soldiers and cause them to defect and stand up for righteousness? Like, that's that's what I'm thinking through. That's what excites me and energizes me is what's happening in the kingdom right now. So you've given us a lot to think about, bro, with just clearly referencing what the church is doing right now and what your church is doing right now. And so, yeah, like I said, the donation link is in the show notes for giving to Benjamin and his church and what they're doing. It's valuable work. I mean, you're even just the other day, you were trying to buy a van so that you could go and drive people out of dangerous areas and, and bring them to safety, which is just incredible, man. So I, I want to, say there's so much value that we could have in sending some money your way. That's not going to fund, you know, dinners, you know, eating out restaurant meals for you guys. That's, that's, that's funding valuable kingdom work. We like to think eating is valuable as well. well. Yeah. If you Um, use even one penny for food in any, no, that's not what I mean. Eating tends to be helpful. Yes. No. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Um, Sorry, man. I'm so but right, dumb. But right now we're eating together with lots of refugees. So there you go. That's what I, that that's what yeah. it's all about, bro. So we've been talking for quite a long time. So we should probably wrap it up. But I just want to say I really value this conversation. Hopefully, it's given people a lot to think through. Again, you might be listening and you might not agree. That's okay. At the very least, be like I would encourage every listener. Pray specifically for Pastor Benjamin Morrison. Pray for his wife. Pray for his kids. Pray for his church. What's the name of your church? It's Calvary Chapel of Svidlovotsk is the name of our city. Okay. Pray for that church and that family and, and just ask that God would give them everything they need to get through this really horrible season, but also like Benjamin said, a, a very beautiful season of watching what God is doing in his kingdom. So thanks for being here, man. Do you have any any parting words you'd want to leave us with? Or any, or any encouragement or anything, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish this out. Yeah, no, just, I mean, like I mentioned before, you know, I've just really been encouraged by the many, many messages of people praying for us, you know, just the generosity of so many people that are wanting to help in this time. It really is, you know, it's perhaps cliche, but it's true as the light shines bright brightest you know in in the deepest dark you know and and we're really just seeing the light of christ shine through you know through his body through the church Mm. yeah so keep that up i guess you know keep praying for ukraine and yeah king king jesus has already obtained victory amen Um, battle's already won and uh, the battle is won Mm. yeah so we're just waiting to see the fullness of that amen amen thanks for being here man yeah thank you aaron yeah 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.